Hello, my name is Casey Rogers, and I'm your host for the Emerging Writers Podcast Series. This podcast is an exploration for what it takes for a writer to become a published author and how to sustain a professional writing career. Like many of you, writing is my passion, and I'm confident that I know how to write a compelling story. But what holds me back is the same thing that holds many other writers back. How do we navigate a system that is about finding a bestseller rather than finding the best work? There are obstacles to our success, and many of those obstacles have nothing to do with the quality of our writing. In the first six episodes of this podcast, we're looking at those obstacles to discover ways of how to get around the so-called gatekeepers within the publishing industry. My guest on this week's podcast is an artist named Jordan DiCatano. She is a highly creative individual whose education and various artistic skills has led her to organizing art projects that bring people together. One such project was born out of curiosity when she found herself asking questions about the impact of the pandemic on dreams and decided to conduct a study. Her project didn't initially include writing a book, but as it unfolded, she felt compelled to publish the results along with the art and poetry the project inspired. Jordan managed to circumvent the very selective process many individuals encounter when trying to get their work published by simply making a decision that the end product of her research was best presented in book format. So my name is Jordan DiGatano. I use she, her pronouns, and I have just recently self-published my first book. Tell me what your background is and how you kind of have evolved as an artist. So I foremost am a musician. I'm also (laughs) a visual artist and a writer. And so I hold a dual bachelor's degree in English communications, creative writing and performing arts music. And throughout the last few years, my creative focus has been organizing art projects that bring people together. So (laughs) in December, 2019 and December, 2020, I assembled these ensembles of musicians to record and release holiday cover song EPs. Mm -hmm. And then in 2019 at an undergraduate research conference, I did a visual art exhibit titled How It Feels, which consisted of photographs of the body of body art that I hand painted on a model to represent how different emotions and traumas feel when carried out in the body. So a lot of my interest in project is about human experience collective and the collective human experience individual. So, and I was brought up just listening to a lot of music Mm -hmm. and drawing all the time. Yeah. And I've just always had an affinity for writing. So I really just combined all of those things into this one interdisciplinary project that also hinged upon having a personality that seeks to connect with people and to connect them to each other. And I used Kindle Direct Publishing, which is through Amazon, as in the shopping website, amazon.com. And what's interesting about the format that this project ended up taking is I did not plan for it to be a book at all. So what happened was I conceived this project over the course of a few different months. So what happened is on Halloween 2020, I woke up that day, it was a Saturday, And I had had this dream where 
I, there had been some sort of context where the pandemic existed in that dream. And I woke up and I started thinking about it. And I was like, I wonder if other people are dreaming about the pandemic, because at that point we had been in the pandemic since March and I had had very few dreams about it. And I am an avid rememberer of my dreams. I have very vivid dreams. And I thought that was very strange. So I posted on Facebook and I asked if people were having dreams with masks in them. And I fully expected for certain people to be like, yes, I have dreams with masks in them. And for them, for it to be representative of how they felt about the pandemic of if they had masks in their dreams, I thought it was because they thought the pandemic would never end. And if they didn't have masks in their dreams, I thought it was because they had an optimistic view. And I was so wrong. Like all of the comments were saying like, basically like I have no dreams with masks in them. That was what most of the comments said. And then there were a handful of people who were having dreams with masks in them, but it seems like it was just because they had to wear it at work all day. Mm -hmm. So that was confusing to me. And I was like, I don't understand what's going on here. So naturally I need to understand. And so I ended up just having that in the back of my mind for a while. And then sometime in February, I was talking to a friend about it and I realized this is a project and this is a project people would actually be interested in. Mm -hmm. And so I put out a call for participants on social media and I wrote out a whole instruction packet for everyone who would be interested so they could read it and decide if it was right for them. And I laid out step-by-step what this process would be like and what their boundaries would be. And basically I had people keep a dream log for one month. So from Mm -hmm. March 1st to April 1st, 2021, they kept a dream log. So they would wake up and in the morning or after a nap, they would write down every single dream that they remembered, even if it was fuzzy or if it was just a little bit of a memory, if it was just a color or a feeling to write that down. Mm -hmm. And they were allowed to omit any details they were uncomfortable with. They just had to indicate that they omitted details with some short explanation, such as too embarrassing, personal, relived a traumatic memory, something like that. So mm-hmm. that I could still gather data on that, on mm-hmm. that data point. Um, and so they kept, they kept those for a month. I had 27 people who made it through the whole month, which was super cool. And there were some international people there. So it was people from all around the world. Cool. And yeah. And so after that month, we then began the art making process. So mm-hmm. I gave them about a month to make art and poetry based on those dreams. So mm-hmm. everyone had the option to either end their participation at that point and someone else would make their art and poetry because I really just needed their dreams Mm -hmm. Um, and they could make either art and poetry or they could make both Mm -hmm. and so that's what they did for like a month month and a half Mm -hmm. and then originally I was just going to make it like an Instagram page Mm -hmm. and I was just going to have the art pieces on the first slide And then you could swipe and it would be the poems on the other side and it would just be a public Instagram page Mm -hmm. that would live forever that way. And then because I took so long to actually get this project done, it started evolving and evolving. And I thought I knew someone who I went to high school with who published a book. I wonder how they did that. Mm -hmm. And so I reached out to them and I was like, how did you do that? And they said that they just use Kindle Direct Publishing. And I was like, well, was it expensive? And they said no. And so I looked into it and I was like, you know, this is really going to work for me. And so I, I was already designing it as a book. So it was perfect. And I realized this project is meant to be a book. So then I published it through Amazon and Mm -hmm. then it became what it is. Wow. And the title of the book is? The title of the book is In Between Dreams, a Pandemic Dream Study and Art Project by Jordan Deggs. 
is the artist name, the truncated version of my name that I use. So you basically coordinated the project or did you end up writing different interludes between, you know, like how is the book set up? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So good question. So the way I ended up setting up the book is that it's kind of written like a case study. I view it as a case study, basically. Mm -hmm. Um, So it starts with, first of all, just a content warning. This book, it's it's not for young children. There's, you know, a few mentions of like sex, mental illness, death, explicit language, a little bit of uh, fictional gore. So I just put that just in case I, I had a couple people in the study who have kids. So just in case they open it and they're like 12 and they see something they shouldn't. So it starts with that. Okay. And then it starts with a list of credits. And then I wrote a project summary. So it's written just like the beginning of a case study would where it's background, the introduction, the method, just like a psychological report. And then so breaking down the project into its components. And then the next few pages are the data from the project. So Mm -hmm. the qualitative data from the project is about their experience and the observations that I recorded, because I should also specify that the participants in the forms that they signed at the beginning, they gave me consent to read all of their dreams, mm-hmm. so, which is why they were allowed to omit details because they mm-hmm. were giving me that trust. So I read 864 dreams. Oh, wow. study. Yes. I read every single dream that someone wrote. Wow. And yes. So from that, I gathered a lot of qualitative data, such as sleep experience, such as people who weren't remembering their dreams, they were instructed to answer different prompts instead so that they could still participate. Because to me, it wasn't the number of dreams someone had or just the content of their dreams. It was what is the pandemic subconscious experience? And if you're not remembering dreams, that's data for me. Mm -hmm. And so people who weren't remembering their dreams they would answer a prompt like, what did you go to bed thinking of? What did you wake up thinking of? Do you remember any feelings? How do you feel now? Mm-hmm. And so I got a lot of qualitative data from that. And then there's also a lot of quantitative data where mm-hmm. I had everyone fill out exit surveys at the end. So they self-reported the quantities of dreams they had in, in certain categories that I did research on. These were common categories in dreams, such as you're being chased, there's a body of water, you're at work, like that kind of stuff. And Mm -hmm. they self-reported those dreams and the frequency of them with an emphasis on, did you have pandemic dreams? What was that experience like? Mm -hmm. And so that's the beginning of the book. And then I would say 80% of the book is their art and poetry and it is formatted just like an art exhibition. So it's it's formatted in pairs of pages. So the left-hand side is the poem and the right-hand side is the coordinating visual art piece. So yes. So, and so it reads like an art exhibition in a book. Mm -hmm. What is the most surprising thing that you found doing this project? Mm -hmm. I think the most surprising thing to me overall was that people were not having dreams about COVID. They were not having dreams about COVID. So I'll, I'll give you a little sneak peek. I won't reveal everything from the study, but in terms of the dreams about COVID, So if you can imagine out of 864 dreams, let's see, out of 864 dreams, there were only 24 dreams in which COVID existed, which is an average of less than one dream per person. And the maximum number of dreams someone had 
was only 10 COVID dreams. Wow. Yes. So yes. So what I concluded from that, because when I was reading people's dream logs, I also would leave comments for them. I would say something like, is this a normal dream occurrence for you? Like, are you noticing this pattern too? I would point out things for them. I would ask them questions. And sometimes they were having dreams with really weird recurring details. And some of them were like, I've never had dreams like this before, or I've never had stress dreams like this before. And so what I figured out through this study is that it's not that people are necessarily dreaming about COVID, but the feelings they experience about COVID in their daily lives Mm -hmm. are influencing the content of their dreams. So it's manifesting in stress dreams Mm -hmm. and new details in their dreams. So like people, most people's stress dreams were about work. So Mm -hmm. people are thinking about work, but they're having a lot more stress dreams than usual. So it's just manifesting in other areas of their lives. Mm -hmm. And then I also had a couple people who they had so many people in their dreams who weren't in their dreams before. And they would just dream a lot about, I had this one dreamer who would dream a lot about baseball and pop culture. And it was Mm -hmm. so consistent. It was like every single night he was dreaming like this. And I asked him, yeah, I asked him, I was like, have your dreams always been like a TV show? And he was like, this is exclusive to the pandemic. And yes. And he thinks it's because he was home consuming so much media all the time Mm -hmm. that that was influencing his dreams. So the conclusion there is that we are seeing changes in our subconscious mind, changes in our dreams, but it's not the COVID changes that I was anticipating to see Mm -hmm. in this study. Mm -hmm. So is it fair to say that COVID really is impacting their dreams, but instead of coming out in a very blatant form, it's coming out in things that kind of seep into our subconscious and, and just, you know, expand into our dream, our dream. Like, I don't really know anything about dreams. Regardless of the pandemic, the experiences we go through on a daily basis our material for our dreams. They influence Mm -hmm. our dreams. Yeah. The literal events we experience and the feelings and reactions we associate with those events. Mm -hmm. That's what's inspiring our dreams and that dream material. But I think that part of the project was metacognitive in the sense that these participants are reading their own dream journals. They're Mm -hmm. very aware of the fact that they are recording and reading their own dreams. And then they have to go through the process, they have to process that when they're making this art. Mm -hmm. So in that way, it became clearer how the pandemic was influencing them, whether it was literal in the sense that they would verbatim write or or create in their art and poetry stuff about the pandemic, or just the feelings that Mm -hmm. were evoked throughout Mm -hmm. the the art making process for them Mm -hmm. through synthesizing the material from their dreams. Most people, when they submitted their reflections at the end of the study, said that they were learning so much about themselves and how they Mm -hmm. felt about various aspects of their lives. So I think that it wasn't clear at the beginning how the pandemic was affecting them, and it wasn't so explicit at the end. But Mm -hmm. I do think that they carry with them this unique experience that was framed by COVID and their subconscious. So it almost sounds to me that what you have also inspired is a lot of self-reflection in this mm-hmm. and given them the tools to take that and run with it because self-reflection is, 
it's a really difficult thing for people to master. <laughs> yes, you know? so. absolutely. And that was something that so many people said, because I, I asked them, and it's also included at the end of the book, I asked everyone, what did you learn from this process of self-reflection? What did you learn about yourself? What did you learn about your dreams? And I had one person who I found was very interesting. So she was finding that through her dream log, she was reading her own entries and realized she was going to bed very stressed and she was waking up very stressed. And oh, she was she didn't know that before that. So about midway through the dream log process, she started meditating before she went to bed. She would listen to like guided meditation and just take some time before bed to relax. And she stopped remembering dreams because she was having such quality REM stage of sleep that she would sleep right through the part where you usually wake up and you remember dreams. And she was sleeping so much better than that. She ended up not remembering some of her dreams. So that was pretty cool too. Like that was some pretty cool self-reflection it was actionable for her and then I also had a lot of other people not only say that they remembered a lot more dreams Mm -hmm. but also since the nature of this project attracted many artists to Mm -hmm. it many many people said I was seeking an opportunity to create art I haven't been inspired for a while I was looking for inspiration and I didn't realize I could use my own dreams as inspiration and an excuse to make art and so that was so cool just seeing that from them because I knew the project was an excuse for them to make art because it was a requirement right but for them to be inspired by their own selves and their Mm -hmm. own creations that they didn't have to actively come up with and now they can draw inspiration from it that's a really cool gift that I feel like I was able to give some of these artists so in terms of like promoting it to people I I didn't do a lot of promotion to be quite honest because Mm -hmm. this project it's one of the few projects in my entire life I've done to just do Mm -hmm. instead of normally I'm doing projects to create a brand for myself, to create a community as a brand, to create leverage for myself as an artist, for portfolio Mm -hmm. material, to get more followers on my music account, to, Mm -hmm. to build something for myself. But this project was different for me because I knew it was so intrinsically meaningful that I just wanted to complete it and to do it. Mm -hmm. And because it was so involved with other people, I just automatically knew that at least almost 30 people were already buying into this project. So that was already, already worth it for me. So I just, and I spent so much energy, so much creative energy and exhaustion into this project that by the end of it, I was not (laughs) willing to put in enough effort to promote it. And that's, so you were asking me earlier about some of my biggest challenges. That was one of my biggest challenges. And Mm -hmm. I, I knew going into it, I, you know, I've taken marketing classes. I've taken artist entrepreneurship classes. I understand that if you're your own marketer, you have to be prepared for that marketing process. You have to make those advertisements in advance Mm -hmm. and be ready to promote in advance. And I simply did not have that energy because this project took on its own timeline. So I just relied on my own network of people. I advertised on my personal and professional social media, like, hey, I've been working on this project. Here it is. Here's a description of it. Here's the link to the project. Here's a picture of me holding the project. Mm -hmm. And it did very, very well on social media in terms of my own network and Mm -hmm. such. And it has been very well received. I've had a lot of really nice messages from people and a lot of support from people that I've actually never really talked to who have just 
those people on your social media that you know, but you don't talk to them. Like, yeah. I, you know, it has brought them out of the woodwork. So that, that was really cool to see too, but it's just, it's hard being your own creative and your own promoter at the same time. And that's something I knew when I released the project, I was like, okay, I'm not trying to make a huge profit here. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to waste more energy Mm -hmm. promoting. I have been promoting it. I have been promoting. I made advertisements for it. I posted it on just about every social media account I own. And something I also did was I tagged every single person from the credits too, because Mm -hmm. that really improves the social media algorithm and interaction. Sure. Because I tagged 20 something people in this post, it also gained a lot of traction. So, and just relying on them sharing the post themselves. So Mm -hmm. really that organic interaction. I keep telling myself I'm going to make TikToks to advertise it on BookTok because BookTok, which is Book TikTok, um, is really a very supportive community. So mm-hmm. I keep telling myself I'm going to do that. Am I going to do that? Sure. When am I going to do that? Who knows? But let me tell you, promotion has been a real pain in my booty because it's mm-hmm. not that I don't have the skills to promote. Mm-hmm. I, you know, have a degree in communications and I'm a visual artist. I understand how to create promotional material that's effective. Being your entire own team is exhausting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But there are so many people that either don't understand or they're just under the impression that something isn't legitimate if it didn't get the stamp of approval by Simon and Schuster. I mean, and that's what I just absolutely adore about what you're doing because you have a vision and you're creating something and you're executing something and you're not asking somebody else permission to be an artist. Right. And that was something that I really appreciated about KDP. It's like, you know, I'm not, I'm not making a whole lot of revenue and I am going to have to pay taxes on it. So financially it's not super powerful, but that wasn't my goal. The whole right. thing is like, you know, like you were saying, it would be great to have that, you know, the copyright stamp at the beginning, the publisher stamp. It's like, wow, right. that's so cool. That's so official. And they promoted it for me. But the point for me is like, I am literally holding in my hand a book that I wrote and published. Yeah. And I only decided to publish it. Mm-hmm. This is such a contemporary and in a way time sensitive project mm-hmm. that I don't think like who knows where the pandemic's going to be in five years. Hopefully it's, you know, in a much better state, but I don't think anyone's going to want to read a study from 2021 of a, a one month, two month project from the pandemic. Like this needed to be out now. It yeah. wouldn't have the same impact it, it had now. It needed to be right. out now. And I needed that quick turnaround. And right. you just brought up something that I think is so important too. Essential to approach any project like this professionally. We're used to seeing everything perfectly bound and beautifully mm-hmm. laid out you're very inspirational in terms of how you approached a project that you put together. Yes, thank you so much for having me. I look forward to talking again. What I really like about Jordan's work is that she took the bull by the horns. She knew what she wanted to do, and even as the project evolved, she just went for it. To me, that's so empowering for a writer or artist. So many people are under the impression that something isn't legitimate if it doesn't have the stamp of approval of a publisher like Simon & Schuster. 
And it's also true that some people publish less than professional work and don't rely on the same standards that a larger publisher would. However, that's not the case with many authors who embark on self-publishing. They take great pains to give their readers the same level of professionalism a big publisher would. In her case, Jordan had a vision and she didn't ask anybody for permission to be published. What her work also points out is that sometimes a project's timeliness should be a factor in determining how an author approaches putting their work into the world. It may not be something people will have much interest in years from now. So getting the book published through a traditional publisher wasn't as practical as the self-publishing route. Thanks so much for listening to the Emerging Writers Podcast. There are so many wonderful writers out there with works to explore. Our goal is twofold. We aim to inform and inspire new writers on how to achieve their goals as well as highlighting works by new, undiscovered, or noteworthy authors we admire. Feel free to send us your recommendations and we'll do our best to take a look. And don't forget to check out the line of writer-themed merchandise that supports the show at twobeanscafe.com, as well as checking out the links for the guests on this show. Onward and upward!